Cole Cabana's on AEW Unrestricted. I've always been a person who impresses people over time. Like, that's always been my theory. I'm always a slow burn. That should have been my name. Slow burn Cole Cabana. <laughs> so join me and Tony Schiavone for AEW Unrestricted, powered by State Farm. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Sam, quickly, who's been the best player in the Bundesliga this year? Uh, the one and only Marco Royce. Rolls-Royce, they call him. Rolls-Royce. Roll up, roll up, rank squad. Ready your right royal receptacles and prepare yourself for the pinnacle of podcasts on possession, penalties, players and positions posted perfectly punctually to please the pressing populace. A simmering salamagundi of soccer sensations sorted seamlessly into a sensible sequence. Oh yes, ladies and gentlemen. It's BR Football Ranks. I'm Jack Collins and I'll be your host as ever, keeping the rank squad family close like London's answer to Drake. Just hold on. We're going home. So whether it's 5am in Toronto or 6pm in New York, whether you're listening on March 14 or November the 18th, whether you're in Portland, who's that Lanta Vegas or Galchester, let's start these fireworks, build some energy and show the crew some love. To my right, it's a man who glides through the football world like child's play, who has diplomatic immunity because he speaks the language of agents, reader of the signs, the transfer controller. It's Dean Jones. What's up, Jack? And not the six god, but the rank god. A man with that R1 finesse in the heat of the moment who started from the bottom and who is definitely the best we've ever had. It's Sam Ty. I understood about half of the words you said over the course of that. Well, here at BR Football Ranks, we're currently underground kings, but trophies are on the way. Rank squad forever. That's the motto and we're faithful to it. Well, I'm upset that's over, but I just hope that you'll miss me a little when I'm gone. I'm going to miss you a lot. That was very, very good. <laughs> right, Romeo Don, Dean, let's kick <laughs> off these hot takes with yours. What you got for me this week? English football has to thank someone um, right now, and it's not Drake, it's Pep Guardiola, because he's turned the England football team into a side that not only can actually win something now, but win it with style. He's Eng- not their manager, though. Okay, so Pep Guardiola is basically England's manager because <laughs> Gareth Southgate has been inspired by Pep Guardiola. Right now, England are playing at a level that I've never seen before, and it's all because Pep Guardiola landed in England, completely revolutionised the league. So he's basically the England manager, Gareth Southgate. By default. Yeah, exactly. Gareth Southgate is just doing the work for him. Now, <laughs> Southgate, fair play to him. You've got to give him some credit because he has put the side together... But basically, he's recognised that Guardiola has taken Cruyff's um, learnings and coaching techniques to a whole new level. And he's like, to be honest, I probably need to jump on board with this. And he's done exactly that. Um, Pep's fingerprints are all over this England team right now. You look at um, the goalkeeper, Jordan Pickford. Not best goalkeeper with his hands, to be honest, but with his feet, absolutely brilliant. A bit like Edison at Man City. You've got John Stones there at the back running out of defence, conducting a play from there. Lovely to see. Of course, Raheem Sterling has become pretty much the best player in the world right now. Uh. Uh, Under Pep Guardiola, hitting absolute (laughs) new levels. Um, And England's style of play as well. You'd look at um, the game against Czech Republic the other day, and 
in years gone by, that would have been the most boring game of football you've ever seen because yeah. they're just using this low block. You just see like nine players behind the ball and England would have been passing it backwards and forwards and then be like, oh, we're just going to have to start lumping it in behind and hope we can get in there. And it wouldn't have happened. We probably would have lost 1-0. Um, didn't happen. Thomas Callas header in the 57th. <laughs> yeah, exactly. England kept the ball, pass, pass, sideways, sideways, until they get an opening. Suddenly Kane sees a pass, goes in behind, Sancho squares it, Raheem Sterling slides in. Lovely goal. Um, Very Man City. It's so Man City, like so much Man City in this team, so much Pep Guardiola. Thank you, Pep Guardiola, for revolutionising England football and giving us all hope. Sam, do you agree? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, come on, like, yeah, all right, there are principles at play here, fine. And uh, as an Englishman as well, like, I, I'm absolutely loving watching England play right now and there are City principles, but don't take too much away from Southgate. That waistcoat is, is, <laughs> is at least 40% responsible for most of our success over the last year or so. And I guess actually you could take it further away from England as well and look at the countries that Pep Guardiola has managed in and the dominant teams at that time and the teams that won the World Cup at those moments. Reel well. them off, reel them off. Spain 2010, Pep was in charge of Barcelona. Most of their players play for Spain. 2014, Germany, Pep Guardiola was in charge of Bayern Munich. Most of that team played for Bayern Munich. I think seven in the final Bayern Munich players. Yeah, there's a strong, there's a strong correlation, you have to say. And I, look, for the last couple of years, I've been saying any good quality young English player I hope you get a transfer to Tottenham or Man City mm. to work under Pochettino or Guardiola to, to experience a football education, which has resulted in all of these players doing what we've seen over the last, well, basically week or so. But actually, since the World Cup, really, they just look so different to what we've become accustomed to. OK, I, I want to bring one thing back. So Jadon Sancho is emerging as one of the, the you know, standout players in Europe at the moment and, and very much in this England side is seen as one of the sparks. He's had to move away from Pep Guardiola's Man City to even get a game. Does that not Still undermine a glimpse of it? Though, didn't he? he got a glimpse of it at the start. He could see what he was trying to do. Done his homework. <laughs> Off he went. I mean, <laughs> but it's a different environment. I mean, look, City, look, City's just, youth teams are, are built the way that City oh, is, right? So Jadon yeah, Sancho yeah. played for the, UA, the youth league side and for the unders. Um, he played in a style that suited Pep Guardiola or was reminiscent of Guardiola because that style is coached all the way through the club now. So, yeah, he had to move away for the first team element, but he has been indoctrinated in Guardiola for the last three years, even if he's had to go to Dortmund to really show it. Okay. People are going to say that we're just sucking up to Pep here. I know they are. I can already see the comments coming in once this goes out. But I'm not sucking up to him. Anyone that denies that this is happening is kidding themselves. Like, Pep Guardiola is undeniably in control of the future of English football right now. <laughs> That's such a big statement. I mean, he is, in some ways, he is in control of the future of English football. Uh, as some people would say that he has Phil Foden in his ranks, who looks like the maestro to come, and who's not getting games. Exactly. Just wait. Phil Foden will... I don't know why he's even being ignored right now, because he should be in there as well, because if Callum hudson is getting called up without playing Premier League games, then Foden's time is here too. Right. Fair enough. Sam? Hot take from you this week. What you got? Okay, well, I had the pleasure this weekend of being one of the first 30,000 or so people to experience a football match at Tottenham Hotspur's new stadium. So Lucky boy. I, I went along and uh, I'm sure you've seen a lot of positive press from it. I have. I'm here to just confirm to you that it is magnificent. It Best is, ground you've ever been to? No, but it is magnificent. It, it really is. I mean, it was only half full, but you could see the, 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 the majesty of it, the shape of it kind of Arsenal-esque like I know that Spurs fans have been getting quite precious about uh, this comparison because it is their direct rivals Arsenal fans have been saying oh you've just copied us and people are no 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 it's different they're pretty similar like they are but Tottenham's the, st the stands are steeper 
um, it's more imposing and more intimidating. And they've got the South Stand, which is one massive tier, which is, you know, in the mould of Borussia Dortmund's yellow wall. I think we'll, it, we'll get onto this. It, it fits. It fits like the entirety of Bournemouth Stadium in one stand, for example. <laughs> oh, yeah. Put, that, put that one in the trophy cabinet. A, a Premier League side. Um, the fans were invited to stay after the game. It was an under 18s game against Southampton. They won 3-1. Um, very good atmosphere. They were invited to stay on the concourses for two hours after the game to just experience it and to have fun. Like do what? What did they do? Like drink and have food. And have, have you not like, seen the video of people dancing? They had a DJ. Yeah, it was very forced. They, 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 they had a DJ and they were all standing around and, and having a really good time. The phrase I kept hearing over and over again was... It's one of our own. Was, <laughs> it's one of our own. It was, it was we're home. And it was not followed by Chewy. It no, was no. we're home. I saw some guy crying. Was that real? Well... I don't think unless he's an actor. I don't know. Oh, that was, I mean, that was that was, was a video, before right? Before the cameras, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Like, it felt a little bit forced. Anyway, but, but, but the, the, the the residing thing was like, yeah, we're home. We're so happy to be here. They kept them in. They allowed them to stay there and uh, and experience it and enjoy that. I'm thinking new stadium bounce. Right. Yeah. Uh, this is what new I want to ask. Stadium bounce. There's it, there's three games in April. You know what I'm going to say. They play Man City three times in four different games, whatever it is, and. Those games are huge. They're crucial for, for Spurs' kind of season in general. It's the Champions League. Obviously, there's a big title race going on. I don't know if you've heard about it. Um, but, but, you know, is this going to help Spurs or hinder them, do you reckon, Dean? It's got to help them. I mean, I've been to enough games at Wembley now to see that nobody who's there actually enjoys it. Yeah, they hate um, it. I mean, the only thing is the players are now used to, to playing at Wembley. And so in the league, I guess... It's kind of going to be a bit strange now because on their actual pitch, they're not going to have any home advantage as such because they haven't really played there either. Um, But you look at the example of them playing Manchester City in the Champions League and Manchester City are very good at playing at Wembley. So that's not really going to help Tottenham (laughs) to have played them there. Sam's seen what it's going to be like. Um, I haven't. But Sam, what do you reckon? Is, it, is this going to help them in their run in, in the season? Well, the sentiment towards Wembley is so overwhelmingly negative now. I mean, they, they, they wouldn't even have to have been moved into an amazing 60,000-seater modern stadium. They could have been moved down the road to a local field <laughs> and they'd have been happier playing there than they would at Wembley. They... The fans hate Wembley now. That the magic of the occasion is completely lost on them. They never want to get to a final. I under, and I understand it as well. So just to move away from Wembley, first of all, is amazing for them. It's 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 amazing. And but they, you know they sing "We Are Tottenham" from the lane. That's that's they are from the lane. They call that home, and they say we are home now. They are so much happier. The mood has just switched. And this has to be a good thing. Like the last four Premier League games, three losses and a draw. Yep. One point from 12. Yep. That dominance or that stranglehold they had over third place in the league has completely disappeared. The race is on now and they might finish outside the top four. Like it might happen unless they buck up. And they this, beat City. And this day, I still, I would not go that far. Mm. I wouldn't. But I feel like it's going to be enough to give them a nice timely boost and cement their place in that top four, it's, which legitimately is in question right this now. This is going to be my last question for the, for the topic. Can Will the new stadium help Spurs get fourth, yes or no? Yeah. Dean? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, yeah. so we're, yeah. we're agreed. I'm a little bit wary of this. I, I think moving to a new pitch where you don't know it and it feels a bit weird and obviously there's going to be some teething problems, you'd imagine, and no one's done this mid-season, right? No one moves stadium mid-season. Yeah, That's no, I've never seen it. I mean, Sam, what, one thing I saw him pointed out before the game was how small the run-up is to the corners. Was that something you noticed when you were there, by the way? Yeah, it was something that was pointed out a couple of times before before kickoff. Actually, Every, sort of few people looked at it and thought, "Yeah, there's not is a lot. Weird? There's not a lot of space there, is there?" It basically it just kind of goes it goes about two foot and just drops off a off a hill. But every corner that was taken 
was fine. Okay. And the corners specifically in the one to my left, which is the closest one, I had a really good view of it. It looked fine. I mean, there were concerns pre, pre-game, but it didn't seem to matter. And most of the Tottenham fans around me were saying, well, Ericsson can't take a corner with a flat run-up. So maybe, maybe they're better with a, with a, with a, with a, with a hill one. Oh, yeah, it's absolutely harsh. <laughs> right. OK, let, let's move things on. Um, as ever, the third hot take comes from you guys on Twitter. The poll goes out on a Monday evening. You'll find it retweeted off the BR Football account. It's down to you. And this week's winner was, why are some players so different for club and country? It's a good question. And I think it's interesting to look at it both ways some players are much better for their country think England and Liverpool's Adam Lallana you know James Rodriguez at Colombia any of the Chilean squad pretty much who all seem to be better playing for country than club Uh, but also interestingly potentially maybe harsh but the two best players in the world often struggle in a national setting especially Leo Messi who again struggled with Argentina this week Uh, and I think that this is because when you have a Messi or a Ronaldo the other players basically just forget to play they just give them the ball and they're like right crack on then Portugal seem to like calm down when he's not on the pitch and Bernardo gets more of the ball and it it seems to just flow a little bit better as as opposed to you know when you're when you're mentally there and you're like oh I've got Messi or Ronaldo you just like give them the ball they'll do the work you know they're they're the two best players in the world do you think that that's a thing or is this a mentality thing or is it just that the systems especially for Messi the system at Argentina just doesn't suit him I'd imagine there's an element of that. I can tell you now that if I was called up to the Argentine national team, that uh, I would just give it to Messi and expect him to do everything. Yeah, I appreciate that, the that players the that he plays with are slightly higher level than I am. Um, I do think that the system is... Well, the, the, the lack of movement around Messi for Argentina is a massive problem. And he, you can only take him so far. Like He obviously gets triple marked for Barcelona, but finds a way around it. And that's mostly because he has players running around him. Like He has like three clear passes that he can almost always make. He can interchange the Suarez. He can play into Jordi Alba. He can move it wide. Someone is always moving for Messi at Barcelona. And like that definitely isn't the case at Argentina. They do just kind of think, oh, we'll just give it to him and see what happens. And for Portugal... And Ronaldo, in Ronaldo's case, I feel like you really have to build a whole team around him nowadays. Like you have to, everything has to be geared towards basically putting it in the box for Ronaldo to head home, as Juventus have done, foolishly or not. I don't know, the football isn't great, but it works. What they do, they play to his strengths, it works. Portugal haven't done that, or they, they kind of go halfway between because they sort of want to play football, but they sort of want to give it to Bernardo. And you're right, they look freer without him. They look calmer without him. Sometimes it, the, the, the group of players just doesn't fit as well. And like in national pools, you get like, what, 100 players or so to pick from, 30 of which will be very good, 10 of which will be excellent. It's not like a club side where you can go, well, I'll have him, I'll have him. Yeah. I've got yeah. 600 players to pick from. Oh, he'd be perfect for Ronaldo. You make do with what you've got. I want, I want to take it on to you, Dean. Look, someone like France, for example, where there are superstars in that camp. There are you know, Pogba, Griezmann, Mbappe, all of those players who are, are wonderful football players. There seems to be more kind of superstars on the same level for France. Is that, and, and you look back at the winning teams in the last couple of World Cups, you look at that Spain team, you look at that Germany team, there were obviously world-class players in there, but there were a couple of them, and none that you were like, oh, absolutely top of the game, kind of top of the class. There was no Messi or Ronaldo. There was no Neymar at Brazil. And those are the teams that succeeded. Is there, is there something in that? There is something in that. And I think that on the flip side of, of them just relying on giving that player the ball, I think that the problem that the big, big players have is the fact that the other players, no matter how good they are, they're just not quite on their level. So you look at the kind of players week in, week out that Ronaldo and Messi play with, they know exactly how those players work. They learn from training and everything else, their moves, their runs, they get inside their mind a little more. When you're sent away on international duty, 
you don't know what the squad's going to be. It's very rarely the same squad or same lineup. In Argentina's case, it's almost completely different every time. Exactly. In Argentina, there's a great case. Um, they obviously lost to Venezuela. And there was really a good opening that Argentina had when Messi ran around the back and Benedetto had a chance. He plays for Boca Juniors normally, by the way. And he had a chance to backheel it into Messi's path and he tried to do it and he completely messed it up. So immediately on social media, they were comparing it to Suarez when uh, Barcelona played against Betis a couple of weeks ago. It was an unbelievable assist from Suarez, the backheel, and Messi finished it off. And... It was just laughable, yeah. the comparison. Just and quite there. I think that that's all it is, really. It's like, they're, obviously, you've got to be so good to play for Argentina in the first place, but you're just not quite not a Barcelona level. player. Yeah, I mean, there's, is, is there should be there be calls to be playing more superstars. You know, often you, you try and cram too many superstars in a national team and it doesn't, doesn't fit, or they, don't all, they all play the same position. Or, mm. and, and this has been raised about Dybala and Messi before. Yeah. But is there something in the fact that at least Dybala would dovetail off Messi because he's confident enough in his own ability to basically make those runs, to try and play those passes and, and open gaps up? I think that the, 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 the issue with Dybala has been more that they are like basically the same sort of player. Mm-hmm. So like, they, want to, they want to occupy the same space. They want to do the same sort of thing. So they want the team built around them. They want to be fed the ball between the lines and start dictating and running into the box late. They want to do the same thing. So like Dybala and Messi has never clicked. But taking it away from that, like, and again, and then cramming more stars in, maybe that is what Argentina needs to do. I don't know. They've been through so many players at this point over the last two years or so. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the next step is for them. Should Messi have just retired when he did retire? Oh. Should he have come back? I mean, I looked at him in that Venezuela game. Obviously, he then pulled out the squad, didn't he, for the yeah. second game? And a part of me just think he must be thinking, why do I bother? Why do I bother? <laughs> There's a copper this summer, isn't there? That's is is that? Does he good, want to be playing? In is there? that the last shot? That's is that the last, last shot, shot at international glory? And and I suppose you look at this as kind of a moment in some regards, you know. Ronaldo, for for all of his kind of faults in that in that Portugal team, and we've seen them progress to the Nations League semi-finals without him, mm. and then since he's come back, draw two games in the in the Euro qualifiers. So it's not been you know the return he would have wanted, the return Portugal would have wanted, any of those things. But you know, say what you want about him, but he's the man for a moment. And if it comes, you know, yesterday he went off the pitch, and Portugal got a penalty, and it all got rescinded later on. But there was, I remember seeing the kind of. Who takes it? Who takes the penalty when he's not on the pitch? And, <laughs> they hadn't practiced for that, and had it they? Kind of, it, it kind of does bring back that if you have Ronaldo, you have a man for a moment, whereas Messi's such a system player that maybe it's never going to click for Argentina and it does feel like this, this summer is the last possible That's a good shout, yeah. I mean, it's got to be his only motivation at this point, to be honest. OK, well, much. that's pretty much all the hot takes this week and we'll be back in a tick to do this week's big ranking. Right, Sam, what have you got for us on this week's big ranking? Okay, so we're going to be talking PFA Player of the Year. Premier League. Premier League, or all, all of English football. I guess that's the, first, that's the first definition to make, but I basically got my top five candidates for the PFA Player of the Year. Okay? And, to, and to give it some context, this is already going in. The players are, are starting to submit their nominations, aren't they? And, yeah. and the coaches. So this is about the time it always starts to happen. Yeah, it might sound really strange, but literally tis the season on, on this occasion. Like this, this is when the vote takes place. Eight games before the end of the year, seven games before the end of the year. It might sound strange, but this is when it happens. Like I've spoken to a couple of footballers who have already submitted their nomination. The deadline comes up very soon. This is when it is, this is, when it is decided. So like a lot of people People will say, oh, you know, it depends on who wins the league. It doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't. It, it, it depends on who that. people vote for this week and last week. This is <laughs> when it's done. Right, cool. So, Kick us off, number but, five. But to clarify as well, it's English football, PFA Player of the Year, right? So 
It's it's not Champions League. You're still going to get comments it's saying why is Messi not in here? I know, but it's important to understand the parameters. Like I this, agree. this is the annual award for Domestic the best year game. in English football: FA Cup, Carabao Cup, Premier League. Right? Okay. But into number five. So this is always. I feel like there's always a late surger, isn't there? Someone who catches form at the right time. Someone who sort of steps into the spotlight around this time, and people mm. start to kind of Josh not, King, something not, like that. Not over, <laughs> not over inflate their importance, but th- that late surge or that the recency bias can allow someone to enter this conversation so five is Sadio Mane yep 17 Premier League goals this mm. season like hands on fire that is incredible the new Salah absolutely incredible the new Salah I mean he has stepped up yes. when Salah has not over the last month or so he's scoring like really important goals I've got three examples first one against Bournemouth in a 3-0 home win appreciate that sounds obvious but at the time yeah. The tension at Anfield was 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 getting to the point where you start to think, well, this Breaking is still over. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so that get that first goal, calm the nerves, end up in a three 0 win. The second and the fourth against Burnley. So the second one to take the lead, at having gone one 0 down, and the fourth one to ice it, having gone three two up, and then and then Burnley having scored again. Again, just just ice that game off, Fill just game, just yeah. collect those three points. And the first one against Fulham after a pretty ropey start from Liverpool. Like it wasn't a good performance, but he. He settled the nerves after that first after that first goal. He's got nine since mid January in the league. That's I mean every striker in the in the in the league would be so proud of that. And he, as I say, he has really really stepped forward when Salah hasn't. I'm so impressed this season with Mane's two footedness. Like I always think of Song. I didn't think you were about to say two footed tackles. <laughs> I was like, I'm not sure about that. I'm really <laughs> impressed. Um, I think of Song Hoon Min as the ultimate two footed player in the league, but Mane at this point. Some of the goals he's scoring, I think, are because goalkeepers just don't have a clue what he's going to do. He hits them off balance with his left foot and they go in the top corner. Yep. Yeah. And people go, what? Well, how's that possible? There's no way that he was lining up for that shot. And with Salah dipping out of form, with Firmino dipping in and out of the pitch because he's been injured, Mane has been the guy that has kept this, this title charge alive when it started to look like it might flag. Really impressed. Dean, will he be there next year? I mean, that's a big question mark. Obviously, when you, when you suddenly go on a run of form like this, you'll get other clubs interested and it's no coincidence that suddenly there's rumours about Real Madrid being interested in, in Sadio Mane. They've also been linked to Mo Salah not too long ago either. I personally, if it was out of those two, would encourage them to go after Mane ahead of Salah. I think that over long term you're going to get more much, much more out of Mane than you are Salah. Um, but then you've also got to remember they're being linked with Mbappe and Eden Hazard and I would say that they would be focusing on those two players ahead of somebody like Sadio Mane. Um, even though, to be honest, he would probably do just as good a job for you, if not better, because he wouldn't have the expectation and perhaps ego that some other players might have of, of that kind of status signing. He'd score um, more than Hazard. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. But at the same time... He's not but, the Galactico that potentially appears. I don't think he would be considered a Galactico. No, probably it. not. Depends on the fee. Probably, yeah, <laughs> I suppose it does. Right, Sam, who's at four? At number four uh, is Bernardo Silva. Course Good player. Is. What a player. Uh, I know, I know. Classic, classic Sam, isn't it? Uh, like, yeah, obviously, I want to be his best friend. Uh, yeah, obviously, I'd trust him with my child. Uh, but he's on this list for legitimate footballing reasons as well. Consistently high level this season, no matter which position he's been played in. And they have asked a lot of Bernardo Silva this season. Like With Kevin De Bruyne going down for months and months at a time, he's had to fill in. And when, you, when a team like City don't really miss De Bruyne for a three-month patch... That's because someone has played superbly in his position, and it's Bernardo. Then when he has to play on the wing to fill in, he does so, which is obviously his position that he played mostly last season, does so with aplomb. Doesn't matter what you've asked of him, he has done it. He's scored crucial goals, he's provided crucial assists. 
He doesn't stop running. Like some of these performances he's put in, he looks like he weighs about five stone wet, and yet he somehow just produces this energy level. About 100 minutes that game against Liverpool in January took to, to, to elapse. And Bernardo, I don't know where he got that from. Yeah, dynamo. Uh, oh, my goodness dynamo me. And Guardiola was praising him after the game. And rightly so. Don't know where he got that energy from. Didn't stop running. And I don't know either, but he's done exactly what he's been asked to do. He's played to a ridiculously high, consistent level. Um, he's scored some wonderful goals. He's, 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 made some, he's a wonderful player to watch as well. Yeah. And... The thi- one of the things with, with the Player of the Year award for me, and you'll notice this as this list pans out, is that consistency, I think, over the course of an entire season is really important. It is the player of the season. And we mean that over the eight-month period, not autumn or spring, right? Yeah, not yeah. that season. It's the full football season, right? So autumn Bernard's, or spring. Yeah. So, <laughs> autumn Player of the Year, the Player of the Season. Well, is... actually, I've got a couple of nominations for that one as well, the Spring Player of the Year. but Aperture and the Clausura. Yeah, exactly. So it, 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 that, that level for me, consistently 7 or 8 out of 10, yeah. that's what gets him onto this list for me. And I, I, like, I think it's still the hipster's shout. Um, he's not going to get it. But he's, he is, he's been one of the best five players this season. Uh, Dean, I want to bring up a kind of moment in, in the season for Bernardo, which is his goal against Swansea in the FA Cup, where City were two down yep. and the quadruple dream is, is filing out the window. It, it's off. And it's Bernardo Silva who picked the game up by the scruff of its neck and went, hang on here. And they lacked that so much last season when you yeah. saw that game against Wigan. Someone to just really, especially when they were in a bit of an injury crisis, you know, they brought De Bruyne on and he wasn't fully fit and you could see that he wasn't you know ready to do that Bernardo this season picked the game up was like right let's sort this out then and and changed it decisively in City's favour and that's the mark of a great player right absolutely that and and Pep Guardiola recognised this so early on you know that's why he has had this role since De Bruyne has been out he's trusted him Mm. and you know they usually rely on Sterling and Aguero to get them out of trouble when De Bruyne is not there and when that's not happening you do need something deeper and Bernardo's become that man he's just got a three-year extension to his stay at Manchester yeah, City he's there till yeah. 2025 that's a lot of years it's <laughs> a lot of years and it just shows the club didn't even need to do that right now but they're just like we need this man at the centre of everything because this is what we stand for he's got everything technically great hard-working good brain mm. um, he's still young Guardiola's even said that um, said something like Bernardo Silva is the main man at Portugal. I can't remember the exact words he used, but he kind of inferred that this is where they Portugal should be looking right now, not Ronaldo. Like yeah. he's their main man going forward. Um, and listen, I think he's for good reason as well. He sees this man every day. He knows what he's still going to. Just that yeah. goal against Swansea, like the quality of the goal out, outside of the oh, boot from, from that strike. angle, it was absolutely incredible. And then he laid on Aguero as, as well. Like he really did turn that game around. I think around. he's got under the radar a little bit. I think for um, yeah. and, uh, for neutral viewers who don't watch perhaps as much of Man City as as we have to in our jobs, you know, you watch every single game. I think that it would be easy to miss his um, influence mm. in every single game he plays, but. Yeah. I think most people know he's good, but he is very, he's very exa- good. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's move it on. If he's exceptional, I can't wait for the top three. Go on, Sam, is it three? All right, into three, uh, not a very sexy pick at all, but I think this man's importance to his team has been laid bare this season, and it's Fernandinho. Uh, arguably the tactical MVP of City, um, potentially for some people, the MVP of City. There was that period where they lost those couple of games before Christmas and Fernandinho was absent and City were being counter-attacked like crazy and they just couldn't stop being counter-attacked. All of a sudden, the dominance that they have in games where they just pin teams in, it wasn't working for them because they couldn't efficiently trap those teams in because Fernandinho was not there. Mm-hmm. And like, 
again, I, th- I think uh, same same with what you said about Bernardo Dean. Like, if you don't focus on Fernandinho, if you don't watch him very carefully, you may miss what he brings to the game. You may miss his importance, but. I think he's quite literally your all-purpose midfielder. Like He passes the ball well, but he also manages the tempo of a game well, and he takes it under pressure. I'd say he is reasonably press-resistant in possession, which allows City to move through the gears. He tackles and intercepts well. He senses the game well. He fouls very well. Like he, let's be honest, like he should be sent off in most of the games he plays, <laughs> right? But he's playing the rules as they are. He's yeah. taking advantage of referees and he's, he's pushing it to its limit and then he's stopping when he needs to stop. He's a clever footballer. And those are all the things that he does for City which allow them to create 75% possession, which allow them to pin teams in and make them feel hopeless. He's had some bad games this season. Like, in the Champions League against Lyon at home, he was rubbish. Like, that's the, I think that's yeah, the, really worst, bad, yeah. the worst game I've ever seen Fernandinho play outside of the World Cup fiasco. But that was in the Champions League. That doesn't matter here. And in the Premier League alone, like, he has been absolutely sensational and is, is the best central midfielder this season in the Premier League, in my opinion. Uh, I agree. Dean, obviously, Fernandinho's qualities are kind of playing for all to see. It would be almost you know, senseless to, to discuss them. But he is ageing, and he is ageing reasonably fast. Yeah. And well, he's, he's ageing at the same pace everybody else is. <laughs> <laughs> I, knew, I knew as soon as that look came in your eyes, that's what you were going for. But he, is, he seems to be on a, a wind quicker because he of his injury. He just turned 38 as we were yeah, speaking. Yeah, he's actually gauged two years in the sense of this podcast. Um, but he seems to be, you know, his decline seems to be a little bit faster than other people because he's so injury prone at the moment. That's what I was getting at. Um, how do Manchester City look to not even replace him immediately, but like to, to long-term replace him and also get someone in to, yeah, okay. to really sort of so there's no Benjamin adapt. Button type stuff. No, there's no. This is, we're, we're normal ageing process, just with injuries. <laughs> OK, got you. So Man City obviously are already looking for replacements for Fernandinho. Um, but they are struggling to find someone of that mould who would just slot straight in. Uh, and Dombele is somebody they've looked at um, who's done very well in France and undoubtedly is a, emerging as a player that could do that. Um, I've spoken to people who are adamant that they that Pep Guardiola is a huge admirer of Declan Rice as well at West Ham, now of England. Uh, welcome, Declan. Um, <laughs> let's, not, let's not get into it. <laughs> but ultimately... Declan Rice is going to cost upwards of £50 million already. It's yeah. a huge amount of money. Now, you might have seen the last week they've been linked to San Aguez, mm. which from Atleti, which is a bit strange because he was spoken about in the stories as a Fernandinho replacement. Now, I personally don't believe that if they are looking to sign him, that that's where they're aiming to play him because that yeah. wouldn't work. So I still think in Dombele possibly Rice is where they would go to find someone. Um, I don't think that Niguez is going to help them in that, in that area. Sam, if they were going to raid Atleti for a defensive midfielder who plays a Fernandinho role, your choice would not be Sam Niguez, would it? It'd be the one that plays in the Fernandinho role for Atletico Madrid. It's Rodri. Now, not necessarily saying that Rodri is, is good enough for that, although he is, he is an exceptional player and um, Spain see him as their heir to Busquets and I can see legs in that. It's not just one of those things that people say, like Rodri is very similar to Busquets. May not quite reach that level but he is that player so Fernandinho and Busquets they perform the same role more or less Rodri does too Saul Negres is is for me in this instance a, a Gundogan replacement 
because Gundogan has uh, is coming up to the last year of his contract, so in the summer it'll be 12 months. Officially, he has said that he is very happy, but some Manchester reporters are sort of reading between the lines a little bit and saying, eh, I'm not 100% sure he's happy with his role because he doesn't get to play all of the time. Mm-hmm. And let's face it, Gundogan walks into most teams in Europe. Yeah, yeah. So, hey, there's a good city, no better place to play football, but also you've got to play some football, right? <laughs> so Saul, I think, might be more Gundogan and Rodri or, as you say, uh, and Dombele would be more Fernandinho. Okay, right, let's move things onwards. Who's number two? It's Raheem Sterling. Okay. Mm. Number two is Raheem Sterling. Uh, so once again, the production is off the charts, goal scoring, assists. Um, you know, sometimes if you're not necessarily watching a Man City game, but you just quickly check your Bleach Report app for the scores and you see that City are three up and Sterling scored two and uh, assisted one, you're not even surprised. Like, you just don't even look at it and think, oh, Sterling's doing well. You just be like, eh, it's about, it's about par for the course for Sterling, isn't it? Just the production levels are just getting silly now. If he's not in your fantasy team, then you're doing it wrong. Yeah, absolutely. That's the level we've reached with him. Just like guaranteed points in fantasy, but also excellent on the pitch as well. <laughs> um, I reckon Pep Guardiola planned to rotate him a little bit more this season. He beefed out his squad a little bit and added a new winger in Riyad Mahrez and uh, he's obviously got Leroy Sané and he's got Bernardo Silva who can play on the wing as well. I think the unbelievable form that, that Sterling has showed has just made that basically impossible. Yeah, uh, It's left Mahrez like, without any minutes to speak of really. It's left Sané on the bench quite a lot. It, it's really had a knock-on effect on this squad and I think it's just because Pep is just thinking, I can't not play Sterling. I think when he fills out his team sheet now, he starts with Sterling and goes across mm-hmm. through Aguero and into Sané or, or Mares. It's no longer a case of, well, we'll play Aguero yeah. and then we'll add in some wingers. I think it has actually shifted that way now. That's how important Sterling is to City. Will we see Sterling's role adapt? Obviously, he's been so, so dangerous off the wing. But in, in the same way that we've seen Mo Salah kind of move more centrally in a way, is that something you can see from Sterling going forward? Because, like you say, his production levels are kind of off the charts. Aguero, while still... You know, exceptionally productive is coming to the end, and, and Gabi Jesus doesn't really seem to have filled the role in the way that Manny expected him. Could you see that becoming an answer later down the line? I think it could. I think we've seen we've seen little bits of it. Um, we've seen Sterling play as the false nine a couple of times. Um, we've also seen because Guardiola does this thing. I don't know if if if, if the listeners have noticed, but that in a big game particularly, he'll play. I say he'll play a 4-3-3 as he usually does, but he'll play the, the front three out of position for about four minutes. And then after about four minutes, they all swap into their regular position. So it's an attempt to try and trick the defence. So thinking, oh my God, Sterling's up front. And then four minutes later, now he's back on the wing. And then the wingers swap. And, but they, he, always, he starts the game with the players in the wrong positions. We've seen little bits of Sterling playing up front as the central striker with even Gabriel Jesus on the flank to accommodate that. And he's done quite well. And... You watch him now, particularly, obviously, over the last week or so with England. The, the football intelligence that Raheem shows is, is remarkable. His appreciation for space and his ability to dribble out of tight areas and his ability to finish now, his assured finishing. I, I do think a central forward role could suit him long term. We'll see where it gets to. Like, obviously, they don't need to do that right now. And he's so good from the wing. But I don't think it's out of the question at all. Yeah. Dean, is, is Raheem Sterling Man City and England's main man right now? Well, Raheem Sterling will be getting my vote um, for Player of the Year. Obviously, as journalists, you get to vote for Footballer of the Year, which is a different award from the, the PFA one. And there's absolutely no doubt that this man's getting my vote because I couldn't ask any more of him. As a, If I was his manager, I, I don't know what more you could get from him. Not only are his numbers um, ridiculously good, 
in terms of goals and assists. 19 goals, 16 assists in the Premier League. That's ludicrous. It's insane. Um, he's also scoring such important goals and is so casual about it. His winning goal in the Carabao Cup, for example, uh, in the penalty shootout, yeah. cool as you like. Amazing. That, that I wouldn't previously have trusted him a couple of years ago to show such maturity and calmness in a situation like that. Yeah. Um, and he did it. And go back to the Champions League as well. First leg against Schalke. I know in the end they won the, sev- the second leg 7-0, but... It was 2-2 with first leg away and he comes up with a clutch goal. They win it 3-2. He scores so many late goals when City need them. It's become one of his best traits. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not just on the pitch that Raheem Sterling's grown. It's off the pitch as well. You see, obviously, he's had his critics, uh, most of them very unfair. Um, he's answering them now and he's, he's confronting them. He's not just answering them. Mm. He's being quite aggressive about it. He's become a man and he's just not afraid to show any any um, side of his personality right now. And I think that's actually helped him grow on the football pitch as well because he's so confident in himself. I was going to finish with this before we get on to number one. Not just a wonderful role model on the pitch, Sam, but a wonderful role model off the pitch and, and really growing into you know almost an icon mm. in terms of what Raheem Sterling is becoming. And I, I, honestly, like it's weird, but like the amount of pride I feel looking at Raheem Sterling mm. it, it is through the roof right now. Definitely. Uh, that was going to be my final point as well. So we're all on a similar sort of track basically like base level improvement of performances improved mentality in big moments and also just someone to emulate that there's someone whose conduct you should look to emulate if you're a young kid or even a grown adult like the way the way he confronts what he is what he is presented mm-hmm. with is so so impressive so much time for it and obviously his the last game that he played England versus Montenegro unfortunately the three three or four of the players were, were subjected to, to what looks like racist abuse and again he doesn't lash out at it he, he he addresses it in the right way then he speaks calmly about it then you listen to what Callum hudson Adoy said and how Raheem Sterling has been so important in making him realize how to address these things and teaching him how to deal with these problems and and, and, ha- and how to sort of process them in a way that doesn't actually hurt your performance there's not a bad word to say about Sterling. No, not at all. Battered by certain elements of the, the English press yeah. uh, and taken so many hits in terms of how people were so willing to, to slag him off, to, to be you know horrible about him, about very, very menial things. Mm. And he's taken all those things and he, the kind of inner core strength that he has to kind of face those things, stand up, be calm, be eloquent. Uh, it's unbelievable and yeah. so much praise must be given and also just like just taking it back to the football pitch again like yeah okay so Raheem Sterling England's main man right now Raheem Sterling just scored a hat-trick and played extremely well again in the following game we are not that far away from a lot of people saying Raheem Sterling's having a crap World Cup Raheem Sterling's playing off Harry Kane but he's been rubbish he's been our worst player we are not that far off that yeah. like the, to, to, to transition from that that was wrong by the way all that was wrong but people were saying that and people didn't like him no. That even during England's fantastic World Cup run, Raheem Sterling was not a popular figure. That has finally changed. Thankfully. Yeah. Thankfully. Right, let's get on to number one. Who have you got? I think we can probably mm. all guess where you're going here, but go on. There's only one man left. Yeah. Virgil van Dijk. Virgil van Dijk. I mean, look, not, not necessarily the biggest believer in uh, oh, whoever wins the title gets the, get, get, gets the PFA Player of the Year. Not only because it's decided now and not when the title's decided, but because, look, if, if Liverpool don't win... The, the Premier League and there is a legitimate chance of that happening it's not because Van Dyke did anything wrong and just because they don't win doesn't mean for me that Van Dyke isn't the key reason as to why Liverpool even got this far actually made a crucial mistake against Fulham alright we'll address that first <laughs> we'll address that first 
I saw quite a lot of uh, reveling across social media from other fan bases regarding that mistake. I think it's just rooted in jealousy. Oh, yeah. Like, as, as in, like, it was barely even, like, his mistake. I James, agree with that. James sure. Milner created that situation with a, like, a shanked clearance that went back in between the defensive line and the goalkeeper. And Alisson was at fault. Alisson came out in this very strange horizontal stance where he led with his legs almost. Okay, Van Dijk should have put a bit more on the backwards header. But I reckon of the three, he's the least culpable. I agree with And if that. that's all you've got, if that's all you've got for me, as in Van Dyke made a mistake, if that's the worst One thing he's done this season. Fulham. They won anyway. They won anyway, and it was the, the third most culpable party in the entire situation. And that just tells you how good he's been. Because yeah. he has been more or less perfect. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he is the best centre-back in the league, potentially the best centre-back in the world. Yeah. Feels like you've got three players, three extra players in defence when, when he plays. Incredible 1v1, strong, quick, unbeatable in the air. And like, just seems to have this Midas touch. Like, even when he accidentally sh- like, screws a shot well wide, it turns into an assist, Mo- notably for Divock Origi in the first Merseyside derby. Yeah. He scores a few as well. Uh, I, don't know, I, don't know, I don't know what else to say about him. Like, we've, obviously, we spent a whole season praying, praising him. Yeah. He is the key reason why Liverpool have the best defence in the league. If Liverpool win the league, it's because of their defence, really. Mane has dragged them through in stretches, but with Salah and Firmino. And Mane's a streaky player as well. That's why he's like fifth on my list. He hasn't been outstanding all season. The, the one constant that you can definitely rely on this season for Liverpool is Virgil van Dijk marshalling that defence to near perfection and yet another clean sheet. And he smells nice, Dean. Hey, exactly. He sprays himself with his aftershave and off he trots. <laughs> Rolls out there. Huge man. Everyone's roll, back for the, roll back for the rank squad there. So You've been casual. here for a while. By the way, did you exactly think he was at fault that. in the week for um, Gnabry's goal? No. No, I didn't either. Because, again, Van Dijk got a lot of stick yeah. for, not, for not shutting down. So Holland played against Germany in, in the international break. And uh, Gnabry scored a, a great goal, but he cut inside. And a lot of people said, oh, look at Van Dijk. He's made another mistake. He hasn't stopped him from getting that shot away. He didn't really do a lot. Gnabry's just produced, for me, a, a brilliant goal. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, Van Dijk follows him into the channel. His body position is correct as he turns back across yep. into the box. Then he moves across. He's got these really long telescopic legs that usually block everything. Thing. He was a millisecond late to it, but the only reason it didn't block it is because Gnabry hit this crazy shot yeah. that, that scorched into the top corner. Yeah. If that's the only way you could beat him again, then fair that's enough. Fine, yeah. like, that's... If you're beating people with wonder goals, then they're not doing anything wrong. Yeah. I think this kind of all that's been said about Van Dijk has already been said. He's mm. been an absolute rock. He has been the main reason behind Liverpool's title charge. And, uh, and you're absolutely right. If they win it, it is because of Virgil van Dijk's influence in that back four. What you haven't done is uh, talked about a couple of players that I'd like to bring up. Yeah. So I, I want to hear some explanations. Okay. <laughs> Sergio Aguero has 18 goals in the Premier League. He's a scorer and he doesn't mm. even make your five. He's kind of... Explain yourself. Yeah, young man. you're going to have to explain yourself a little bit there. That I doesn't think, make any sense. So Aguero is a good player. Aguero, really? He's Aguero. always overlooked. When it comes to these categories, he's always overlooked by everyone and now you've joined the ranks. Yeah, OK. Well, look, I, he'll get team of the year and he absolutely deserves it. Absolutely deserves it. But... I think people use that argument the whole like he's always overlooked to to sometimes mask over the fact that sometimes he's injured for half a season, scores a lot of goals anyway, but again shouldn't be in this conversation because he hasn't had the longevity. But he that doesn't apply, that, that doesn't season, apply yeah. this season. So this is the first time I feel like I'm probably legitimately leaving him out. And I have a top seven, and Aguero is in the last two that I haven't mentioned. He's been really good, really really good, and he scored some very good goals, and he scored a couple of hat tricks. 
I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and take anything away from Aguero. I just don't think he's been quite as pivotal to his team's success as the three City players I've mentioned and the two Liverpool players I've mentioned. Okay. That's, that's more or less where I am. Yeah, really. I mean, he's got one more goal than Sadio Mane. Dean, does he make your top five? Yeah, he would. I had him in at number three. For My, my top three would have, would have been Aguero at three, Van Dijk at two and, and Sterling at one. Um, I think City couldn't win the league without Aguero. I think that he's been more pivotal than Bernardo for me. Because he has, to, he is always their main man. I know Sam says that Sterling's the first name on the team sheet, and and that's probably right. But Aguero is the second name on the team sheet. Whenever he's fit, he plays. Jesus must be so frustrated because even when he bangs in goals, he knows he's losing his place the next week anyway. Because Aguero is the man, and he's changed his game as well. Because don't forget, there was actually doubts about whether he could continue at Man City yeah. under Pep Guardiola and he's changed his game he's become harder working he's doing he's doing stuff around the pitch like pressing that he yeah. doesn't really want to do yeah yeah um and he's still getting goals you know this season he's going to score 20 goals again you know he's not quite there yet I think he's two goals away from from that but he's going to do it again he does it seemingly every single season now well, he 20, is consistent. 20 plus goals in three seasons on the trot that, I mean he's so consistent that's him and Henri the only two players ever to do that, is that right? in the Premier League that's I just don't big. see what more he can do apart from banging in a couple more hat tricks. Yeah, I, I mean there are. A Would that convince you? <laughs> Maybe, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's true. <laughs> Haven't voted yet. <laughs> it's, it's one of those things, though, isn't it? Where there are always going to be players you miss out. Uh, I yeah. think Aguero is the hardest one to miss out from from the five. There are going to be questions raised, so I will, I'll do I, this I got, on I'll, behalf of the public. Sorry, also, just my, my, to fill out my seven, I feel bad. I didn't put Eden Hazard in. Like literally about three weeks ago, I was talking Player of the Year, and I had Hazard in this conversation because he's won so many points for Chelsea on his own. Mm. But then, again, we, what we, the last game he played against Everton, where he just kind of disappeared. He's not consistent. I, d- I also feel like he may have done that a little bit too much, so he misses out as well. But let it be known, I think Hazard has been amazing this season, and I think he's, he's in that yeah, no, second tier. Okay, well, right, right, well, that's quite enough of that, I think. Uh, well done. Well done. Explain yourself. Quite, enough, quite enough of you. Uh, no more rankings. To return to the theme, we could go on forever, but let's move on to the final fantasy, roulette and nonsense, coming yeah. up after the break. The wheel's back. The That's wheel's back. back. It's a little bit more obscured than last time, but it's it's here. Sam, do you want to start us off with the roulette this week? Okay. <laughs> Whose career would you rather have, PK or Ramos? And that's from Michael Anthony on Twitter. Are these going to come in every week now? People are just going to give us two people's careers and be like, right, compare. Because <laughs> I quite like it. I'm a big yeah. fan. Yeah. Okay. Like so this is, it says, Ramos has got more Champions Leagues. PK's got more domestic success. One of these two players has far more red cards. Would you want, would you want the infamy of being that? No, I don't think I would. I'd, I think I'd rather take Gerard Piquet's career. You have to remember that Gerard Piquet is disliked by quite a lot of Spain. Um, because obviously his uh, kind of yeah. vehement Catalonianism yeah. is, um, has annoyed some people. The PK and Ramos right. even like each other, they don't, do they? No, I think they actually do. There's always that thing where they, they played ones. alongside each other, people like that. Don't even uh, like I think they probably do quite like each other because I think that they see each other almost as like, like it's like yin and yang, isn't yeah. it? They see each other as the exact opposite of what they are yeah. and they're probably like, yeah, go there's going to be some respect in there. I think as well. there's very much mutual respect. Uh, yeah, I, I take I take PK for that. I, do, I wouldn't want I wouldn't want to have accumulated the number of red cards and red card incidents that that Ramos has. To be honest with you, and uh, I know that Ramos has got more Champions League medals, but it's not as if PK's done particularly badly. His domestic call has been ridiculous. Dean, um, I would do PK too because obviously 
he left Barcelona after starting off his career there and decided to go to Man United. And his time at Old Trafford wasn't very good, really. No, it wasn't. No, it, well, he didn't look like a particularly great footballer there. Um, they played him in midfield sometimes, didn't they? It was bizarre they? what he happened really... to him at United. And I don't think they had any qualms, really, about him leaving the club. And he went, he went back to Barcelona, said himself he didn't really expect that to happen, especially so soon. And he's become literally one of the best defenders in world football. And I think that must be a great feeling when you actually do get to where you feel like you belong to be, especially when you've had such a big setback and then end up accomplishing everything at the club you started off at. I think it's an interesting yeah. debate. I don't you know, particularly like Sergio Ramos as a player, um, but I do respect him heavily because be about he puts... <laughs> but he, he's, he's a proper warrior. And we've discussed it at, at length that we don't necessarily... He's not maybe the best defender in the world. You know, his defensive capabilities lack. But he has scored so many important goals, crucial yeah. goals for both club and country. And Penenkas. Uh, and he's an unbelievable penalty taker. He kind of rules Madrid. He just, you know, and, and I think if you'd asked me what, you know, what career I'd rather have, I would have said PK. But I think the, in terms of which career I respect more, I, th- I think the answer is Ramos. Uh, I think that... He just doesn't really care about himself that much. He just gives it, puts it on the line constantly for the club. And I don't think there's so much about that, that you've got to respect because he, he, he doesn't mind what's going on. He's like, right, yeah, and, and he makes mistakes and he comes out and he goes, right, my bad, I'm sorry, I, you know, I made a wrong call. He'll stand up in front of people and be like, mine, sorry, sorry, hands up, I, I got this one wrong. And, and, you know, he's fought with people, he's an he's a antagonistic spirit. Uh, but he's respected and liked. And, and you see things that, you know, Ika Munayin, for example, who is in Spain camp with him at the moment, just spends all his time doing weird little dances with Ramos and stuff. And it's like, all these players are like, Why, how do you get on? You don't, you don't seem like particularly kindred spirits. Yeah. But he seems to inspire that. And that kind of leadership, you've, you've got to respect. Uh, that would be my... Well, that's my a compelling point. argument. Um, Dean, I'm going to spin for you. Go. What would you have called the Euro 2020 mascot? <laughs> I mean, would it still have to be the same figure? For those of you who haven't seen it, look up Skillsy 2020. Well, that's what I'm thinking. Mascot. Does it have to look the same as it does? I, I don't know. I, I didn't write it's the It's just question. kind of like a lad in a hoodie, isn't it? I think you can call No, let's just imagine you can redo the whole it looks mascot. looks like he's in a photographer's vest. Yeah, he does yeah, a bit. It's... it's really worth looking up, this thing. It's a sort of like... It's, I think it's supposed to be a freestyler, and he's called Skillsy. Um, he <laughs> looks look like up. Dean. <laughs> does look a bit like Dean. <laughs> I would call him... He's called Dean Jones. I would call him... Uh, no. I would call him Dean Mbappe. Dean Mbappe. <laughs> Dean Dembele. No, Dean Dembele, yeah. Dembele, Dembele Jones. Dean Dembele. Dembele Jones. <laughs> Sam, what would you call it? Dean Jones. Dean Jones. <laughs> if you... If you yeah, do, we'll put up a picture later of Dean and the mascot what, together. Just, that's not going to get any likes. You can't put that out. It's what. It's not going out on the BR <laughs> okay, football channels. Good. Just yours. Um, I would have called it Europa after the, the best competition in Europe. <laughs> and also, obviously, relates to the whole of Europe. Euro it's one of the worst years. mascots I've ever seen, by It's the way. really bad. Just yeah. a person. It's, it's just not a mascot. It's, it's a person. I, and also, mascots are so much fun. You look at... We put a, a graphic up the other day on BR Football of all the mascots for Euros. And they're all well fun, apart from this one. It's just a bloke. It's <laughs> Go and it's, look it up if you haven't seen it. Really and we're going to move on. We are. I'm going to spin. In the Messi-Ronaldo era of dominance, who was the best player who never got but deserved a Ballon d'Or? That's a decent Ooh. question. I mean, the big question, the big one is obviously Ribery, the year that Bayern won the treble, and he's never got over that. He's yeah, really no, he not. Hasn't. Uh, my answer would be 
uh, probably Iniesta. Yeah. Um, I think the most underrated midfielder of a generation uh, and potentially you know potentially one of the the greatest midfielder of all time i'll put it out there um his influence in the game the ability he had to change change games when he was young and his kind of continued career through all of those eras of of barcelona being magnificent Mm. uh, raises him to another level for me i think that when we look back in 20 years time we will see iniesta as one of the all-time greats and for therefore he is the player that probably missed out for me i would have gone for had first crack at the question i would have had iniesta as well so i'll just i'll just move that on that very slightly and just just take Xavi um, but also so for a lot of the same reasons essentially the signal controller of one of the greatest midfields of all time but let's also in the Rebury side let's 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 bring up Wesley Snyder yep. 2010 won the Champions League did so well in the World Cup he's also never got over the fact that he didn't win the Ballon d'Or that year as well they really ruined their careers didn't they on the, on the back of basically that. yeah so we've got some good candidates there but I, I can understand why they didn't win it um Maybe less so in Iniesta's case, to be honest with you. I think there's got to be a year in there somewhere that he deserved that. Maybe the year that he scored the well, winning goal in the World Cup about, final. Uh, what annoys me about him not getting it is that Modric has got it since. Yeah. And Modric, for me anyway, wasn't as deserving as he would. Iniesta would have been. Mm. As, as and he say. didn't even win the World Cup. He didn't even, yeah. And it's, so, for me, it's a bit flawed. I mean... It's still very difficult to argue that Messi and Ronaldo didn't deserve it every no, year that they did win. I don't it. think that's the. No, I, I know. I totally. You just take them out of the question yeah. and who, who would have gone then in? Then Iniesta, yeah. 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 Okay. Well, Sam, it's mm. nonsense time. It Make is, me proud. It is nonsense. One more time. for you. There's one more. That's 35 references, by the way, to Drake <laughs> in this episode. Make me proud. Go. Okay. Uh, today we will be ranking Trent Alexander Arnold's names. <laughs> <laughs> How many has he got? He's got three. <laughs> which, what are they? Which parlays itself perfectly to a top three. Uh, his first name is Trent, and his second name is Double Barreled. It's Alexander Arnold. So we're just going to rank them individually. I actually then, the first thing I thought of here was. Uh, was just in was, case was, no one knows who Trent Alexander Arnold is, he's Liverpool's right back. Liverpool right back, Champions League runner up, England international. Um, good career so far, you might Very say. Very good career. Deserving. How, how old is he? 20? 20 years, years old. <laughs> Deserving of a ranking of his own, I would say. So basically, I've checked all three names for historical uh, references, pop culture references, and geographical significance. <laughs> and uh, I've used a mix of um, running water uh, and TV shows and historians right, to, get on, to, to get, work get this on out. With it. At number three, and dead last, is Arnold. And not only is it the last name in his name, I quite like it. It's last in my ranking of Trent Alexander Arnold's names. The what only, about Hey Arnold, the three, so the three <laughs> most important and significant Arnolds in history I could come up with were Arnold Vosloo, who played Imhotep in the Mummy in the Mummy Returns, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and Hey Arnold. Yeah. Do you remember the cartoon, Hey Arnold? Thing? I do. I've got a friend with a big head and we call him Arnold. Oh, no. Yeah, he had a football-shaped head. Yeah. Yeah. So I football think he might be the f- most famous Arnold of all time, which is really bad for all Arnolds everywhere. So step your game up, Arnolds. If you are an Arnold, start making history. And I don't just mean cartoons aired from 96 to 2004. <laughs> right, carry in on. A, in at number two is Trent. I thought you were just going to do his name in order, I've got to admit. Right. <laughs> <laughs> in at number two is Trent. Uh, the, the River Trent is the third longest river in the UK. Yeah. It flows from Staffordshire to Lincolnshire and it goes through Derby, Leicester, Nottingham, Lincoln and Yorkshire. Also, I like the name Trent. Um, in looking these up, these names, I looked to check if all of them were rivers. And they are. Yeah. Amazingly, there is a Arnold River in Australia and New Zealand. There is an Alexander River in Australia, Israel and New Zealand. And there's also a guy called River Alexander, an, a 19-year-old American actor. Poor guy. <laughs> um, and it, so in at number one, that leaves Alexander. Um, famous 
name, very famous name, Alexander Graham Bell, credited with the telephone invention. Yeah, telephone. You, could, you could call him a legend. Maybe. Uh, Alexander the Great, <laughs> king of the ancient Greek kingdom of Macedon, yes. undefeated in battle, lauded as a top, top, top Do you want to know general? an interesting fact about um, Alexander the Great? So there's a big thing about him built in Greece. They built a big one. And Macedonia were not happy. Now North Macedonia, of course, um, were not happy. Mm. So they built an even bigger statue in the middle of Skopje. It's huge. They built an entire plaza around this massive Alexander the Great statue. And now apparently Greece are building an even bigger one because they're not happy about it either. Wow. So there's this big like war, basically. It's Alexander between, off. This cultural war between yeah. Greece and North Macedonia about who owns Alexander the Great. I bet Macedon fan TV is lit it's, at this point. It's phenomenal. Incredible it's a really interesting stuff. argument. Um, and also we'll just throw in Alexander Hamilton, uh, founding father of the United States, and Alexander Fleming, who discovered penicillin. Also, it's my middle name. Uh, oh, fix. There we are. It's a so fix. It's, so it's number one. All right, cool. Well, I think that's all we've got time for on BR Football Ranks. If you're watching on YouTube or you're on a browser, get locked in properly. Go to iTunes or Spotify or Stitcher or Google Pods, whatever podcast you want, and search BR Football Ranks. Press subscribe and join the Rank Squad permanently. You can always hit any of the three of us up on Twitter or Instagram, and you can always get involved with the podcast using the hashtag BR Football Ranks. Shout out once again to download the BR app, the best app out there for sports content across the globe across the globe you'll get the best alerts so thank you to Sam Ty thank you thank you very much Dean Jones thank me later no what <laughs> I've been Jack Collins we'll see you next week Rag Squad we hope you enjoyed the Drake theme take care <laughs> <laughs>